Welcome to the Aquas Podcast. Conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Equest Podcast. We're calling this episode the Are We Screwed episode. And in it, we take a look at COVID-19, the impact that it's having on us as individuals and on the industry and on the regulator. And then we look a little bit down the tracks to see what the new normal might be as we try to survive and then thrive beyond the COVID-19. I'm delighted to be joined on this episode by Shannon Eastman, who is a human behavior expert, a management consultant, and also communications expert. And she shares her insights on some survival tips, I guess you'd say, for firms and for individuals facing into this and things that you can do to make sure that you face it with the right mindset and that you don't get overburdened by the stress and the uncertainty and the anxiety. Are we screwed, Shannon? Has COVID-19 wrecked it all for us? My first answer is that's a really interesting question. What makes you ask that? (laughs) I think it's the amount of uncertainty and the really the way that it's dragged everybody from their comfort zones, both on a personal level in terms of the fact that this is a virus that lives in our community and in our environment and could affect each and every one of us and our families and our loved ones, but also then in terms of our jobs and our firms and our country and our industries. With that much uncertainty around, it's easy to lose run of yourself and let your mind think of all the things that could go wrong and spiral downwards and see no end in sight. For sure. That's a really great way to open up this conversation. Yeah, it has definitely had a knock-on effect across all those areas of life. It has to be taken seriously and shown the respect it requires. I'm aware that you have a loved one in ICU as a result of this crisis, Danny. Um, So dismissing it as it'll pass or it's not that big a deal isn't helpful right now. But uncertainty makes humans feel deeply uncomfortable challenging our future, at least the future we thought we had for ourselves a month ago, two months ago, and waking up today and going, that future is probably not there for me at the moment, is also uncomfortable. So whilst I wouldn't say that we're screwed, I would say it's really important that we're mindful of two things at a minimum. One is those who adapt win, and being rigorous and disciplined in your mindset, maybe on a daily basis at the moment, is really in our interest if we're to navigate this as someone who rides waves as opposed to being thrown overboard by the tsunamis. Does that make sense? It does. And, And I suppose the first thing for me with all of this, and I know in the Quest podcast, we were looking at it from the perspective of different players in the, the regulated financial services industry. But, but first and foremost, this is a, a human crisis. And I do have a loved one who is fingers and toes and everything else crossed just coming out of, of ICU having been through COVID-19 infection. And so when something like that happens, it, it brings it all home that the rest of this stuff about job and all that will come. But it's really about, it's about people and it's about making sure as many people as possible are safe and well and survive this. And it's about giving out to your folks because they won't, you know, they want to go down to the shop and get dog food or something like, oh, this is you as well. You know, this is about you staying at home and looking after yourself. That's first and foremost, it is very much a human, a human crisis that we're dealing with. Beyond that, though, we look at it from the perspectives of the different players in our industry and and for the, the country generally. And with so much uncertainty, it certainly can feel like, not that the end is nigh, but just you just can't see 
where the end is coming and, and what the conclusion of all of this is. And with that uncertainty, then it brings anxiety, brings the potential for poor decision making as well, which is something we need to be mindful of. But I think tactics to get through this from a personal level in terms of your mental approach to this and how you view the world is, is very useful. My dad is a dairy farmer and running a quest doesn't have an awful lot in common with getting up at half five in the morning to milk cows. But something that always impressed me about him and about the farming community is their resilience. Never get too excited when things are going well. Never get too down when things are a struggle because a lot of their world is governed by things outside their control. A lot of it is the weather, the climate, which they yeah. have control over. But it, increasingly, it's international markets and things like the price of oil might affect the amount of dairy they can sell in the Emirates or what happens in China. And that. So notwithstanding the lack of control that they have over a lot of things, it's a, yeah. a very calm mindset and they don't allow the here and now to overly influence their mood or, you know, get them too down if, if things are tough, you know? Absolutely. I think it's pertinent for individuals to be mindful of the mindset that they are entertaining most throughout the day. Absolutely, it's easy for us to become prone to the anxiety and the fear, particularly if we're watching the news. Or I had an experience about a week and a half ago where I was talking to about 12, maybe more firms in the financial services industry. And there was, there was a high level of anxiety in those conversations. And with so many of those taking place on top of what had happened in conversations in the days leading up to that, I left feeling a heightened sense of anxiety that I wouldn't typically have. But I had just been spending so much time with individuals who were prone to an anxiety and a fear and the sky is falling narrative that it did affect me. But I caught it the next morning because I'm so aware of how important someone's mindset is right now. And I would extrapolate that a bit further, Denny, and I would say particularly in the work environment that we have, where we're at home, some of us with kids, some of us over here with a one-bedroom apartment, routine and ritual and relationships are even more important right now. So what I mean by ritual is perhaps making sure that you do still get up at seven o'clock in the morning. Maybe that there's a a 20-minute bicycle ride at some point in that morning before your morning coffee. Maybe even a gratitude list. What am I grateful for today? What can I focus on that I have some control of? Where are the benefits of the situation that I'm in right now? I get to spend more time with my family. My kids get to have more access to mom, for example. Those are the type of rituals that you can start setting for yourself so that you have some structure to a day that feels, feels kind of like it's blurring into the 47th day of Maprile, I think is what I heard. Uh, yesterday in a conversation where the days are just blurring. We have someone else said there's only three days left. There's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I'm not sure which one I'm in at the moment. Humor. uh, Humor is a really important part. That's what I living off of at the moment is seeing the funny side of this and being able to laugh about it while still being able to maintain the respect and the, the seriousness that this situation warrants. The other one is relationships. Checking in and making time for 15-minute coffees or whatever form that is for you, but making sure that there is a deliberate intention to stay connected to people, of course virtually, but to do it and not let that fall away as well. The mindset 
is about adapting right now. Everybody that I've spoken to, is, and yourself included, knows that every crisis is full of seeds of opportunity. And so, yes, we're acknowledging that the crisis is there, but there's also so much opportunity that comes with, that, with it. And where does our focus best serve us? Yeah, the one phrase that stuck with me is never waste a crisis. Oh, tell me about that. Why did that stick with you? I guess because we're in such a period of uncertainty and, yeah. you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the negativity. So the idea that the crisis also brings opportunities can easily get lost. But it could be simple things like I was chatting with a, a friend and they're in an organization that has a lot of meetings and a lot of meetings about meetings. And, or, well, let me say, they used to have. international travel yeah and since this kicked off obviously a lot of that has been cut down and now it's more zoom and well whatever tech they use for their virtual meetings and you can see coming out the other side of this a a review of well do we really need 10 meetings a day about these things do we really need to travel to all of these meetings in person and how can we now that we're used to this new uh, normal do we keep some of that what's good about what we've learned so, so don't waste a crisis. Maybe there's better ways to do things that you've done in the past because although the tech was there, because none of this tech is that new, the culture and the mindset and the will to use the tech wasn't there in a lot of cases. And I think in the, in the spirit of not wasting a crisis, it's certainly something that everybody can take on board. Completely. I feel like, you know, Mother Nature might have just taken a baseball bat and knocked us out of our comfort zone, far out of our comfort zone. But that is that is right there, the epitome of growth, which is to move out of that comfort zone and go through all this discomfort and this transition phase that feels uh, heavy and uncomfortable and I want to hide away from it. But then we get into this place of, huh, I don't need to travel for meetings. We don't actually need to have so many meetings. I'm hearing a, a couple of other firms in the industry have taken a quite a significant and innovative way forward with regards to how they hire onboard and train their people, particularly in the FS space, which they would have never thought of before COVID-19. So it is forcing us to look at things completely differently. Sorry, Shannon, to cut across it. This is very interesting because, so as we record, it's Friday the 10th of April. We're two weeks into our our current restrictions. Uh, All the indications are that this is going to be extended I thought earlier in the week it might be even tightened up a little bit more, but let's say it's not. But we're certainly looking at this for another two, three weeks. And before we get back to any kind of old normal office working and that probably months and months and into the summer. So firms that have critical roles that require recruiting are going to have to push on and and do that or where they have people coming in who are already on notice and and are coming in. So they're going to have to find a way to do induction and take new people that they've never met physically in person and bring them in and make them part of the team and set them up with all the tech that they need. And I guess they couriered their laptop to them or whatever it is and find a way to adapt and interview and get comfortable with taking on somebody who you haven't physically been in a room with and be able to integrate them into a team and just make that the way you do business. You said find a way to adapt. I would add to that, we're finding a way to adapt while adapting is inherent in who we are as a species. We are programmed to do almost nothing but adapt. It is our mindset that gets in the way. 
and says, ah, I don't want to change. I don't like change. Humans, it's incredible that humans are the most change adverse people. And yet all we know and experience day to day is change. They are finding a way to adapt and some of them more easily than others. And I think a couple of things would play into that lots, but I'm going to only talk about a couple. One is embracing the situation for what it is, not making it worse than it is, not making it better than it is, but going, right, here's what we're playing with right now. What are the two or three micro changes that we can do today to adapt to that, to facilitate it, to enable us to continue in our workday with quite a different work environment? And then the other thing is the mindset. This is what we have. So how are we going to use it to our advantage? And I think that there's going to be a big, there's going to be two types of firms that come out of this at the end, which is the ones who embrace this to say, okay, how are we going to work this to our advantage? And the ones that are thinking that they're going to go back to business as usual, which is what we had pre-COVID-19, which I absolutely categorically do not believe we're ever going back to business as usual pre-COVID-19. The new normal is here. It is taking shape and form and will continue to do so over the next three to six months, maybe longer. But this is the new way of life showing up. And so we're either going to jump into it or we're going to sit and wait and think that, you know, things are going to go back in September, October. I just don't believe they are. So at a quest, so we, we kind of look at things, we call it the fire perspective, the firm, the industry, the regulator, and the employee perspective. And I think in, in this stage, Jan, we've kind of looked at things already from the employee perspective. But, but now let's look at it from the firm's perspective, the new normal. I don't think that we go back to where we were. It's said it's not human nature to go backwards. It, it is to adapt and to adjust course and do things better or do things differently. So what is the new normal then for financial services firms? Well, where are they at at the moment? I think certainly as we engage with regulated firms, we can see that the initial period was one of pretty, pretty intense shock, I think. Employed business continuity plans. I think the comfort in that was they had business continuity plans to deploy. They had the tech available in the firm they had been pushed on this before by the regulator. It's part of regulatory regimes to be able to push a button when things go wrong and, and deploy your business continuity plan. So they weren't in a bad place, albeit actually having to do it for real and try and work in that environment is, is quite different. The other thing is that regulated firms are required to carry capital. So there are capital requirements, minimum capital requirements, meaning that there is a, a fund there, an amount of money there to help the business to get through difficult times. And typically it's about a quarter of your previous year's overheads or certain fixed amounts. But anyway, at least there's, there's a, a lump of resources there to help you through difficult periods. It's funny, dealing with advisory firms or unregulated firms, and particularly ones that advise regulated firms, it's funny that that's not always the case, that they have very good BCP, that they have very good tech that they can simply deploy, that they have a bundle of resources that allows them to continue for a period of time. They tend to from what I'm seeing anyway, tend to, to sail that bit closer to in terms of the resources. And actually, they've probably had a tougher experience than and a more stressful experience and they're going through that than the regulated firms. And another thing we're seeing, or certainly I'm seeing dealing with both regulated and advisory firms is has been this tendency to kind of shut down. And your primary concern is to pay your, your own staff and shut down in the sense of not looking to 
pay your suppliers or you're putting them on much longer payment terms than you would normally and your your focus is on making sure that your own staff are paid and you're trying to look at their retention expensive discretionary spend which then of course if, if one firm or one regulated firm brings down the shutters in that way then that has a knock-on effect to its creditors and to their creditors and their creditors so that's been quite stressful for a lot of in the industry and that's been kind of the first phase and i think now we're getting used to this being the world and we can even see here in a quest work that had been in the proposal stage before this is starting to re-emerge and, and people are starting to say, oh, we're ready now to progress with the things, albeit that we're three or four weeks behind where we thought we would be. So as you said, Shannon, people adapting and kind of getting used to this is the way and, and that initial wave of uncertainty and fear and that instinct to kind of bring down the shutters, I feel that we're just starting to turn on that. So I would see it as a spectrum. I think you're right to distinguish between regulated firms and advisory firms. But I'd also say that the smaller regulated firms, depending on their situation going into COVID-19 scenario, they are adapting to the BCP. They are still focused on largely essentials uh, for the business. Non-essential for the business is maybe another couple of weeks down the road that will show up behind the, the bigger regulated firms right now who are returning to a mixture of essential and non-essential for business. I also think that there's a lot of firms, both reg and unreg, who are really trying to figure out what is going on with the government support, the tax, the PAYE, the employee support, all these grants, business loans. I think there's a lot of focus on trying to figure out where the support is coming from at the moment. It's almost a day by day depending on what's being communicated and what new type of support is showing up by the government. So there's a fixation on that as well. But then you'll have a group of firms who went into the COVID-19 situation pretty stable. They had a capital, they had resources, they were in a good footing. So they're now just maybe a couple of weeks ahead of the other firms where they have implemented processes that are innovative, definitely COVID-19 friendly, I was just reading a couple articles on three firms yesterday and how they've transformed their entire recruitment process as a result of COVID-19. Cybersecurity, I think that's an interesting topic, for, particularly for regulated firms. We have gone from having a really good, clear idea of what cybersecurity metrics are in the pre-COVID-19 environment, but now that everybody's working remotely and maybe using consumer grade devices and consumer de grade communication platforms, cybersecurity has kind of gone back to a ground zero almost. And I don't mean to use hyperbolic language there, but so we've got firms that are three weeks ahead of the curve and then smaller firms that are still catching up. And I think at the moment, cyber is in the top three priorities for firms until someone gets hacked and that goes public. And then we'll see that move up to a, a first or second priority. Right now, it'll stay at three for the time being. We do have, uh, we're recording a podcast next week with a cybersecurity expert, Sam Glynn from Code in Motion. So oh, he's got lots of great stuff to talk he's about. He's a good guy. Cyber we're calling it uh, cyber, cybersecurity for six-year-olds. And I'm in, I'm in that category. But it's very topical. And you can imagine it's a risk. And as you said, if one firm gets hit, you it's going to really race its way to the top of the, the to-do list of the risk registers. What's the normal for these firms a few months down the line as things 
you know, the restrictions start to unwind. I get the feeling if I were living in Navan and working in Dublin and commuting two hours each way and losing a lot of my life to it, and or had been, and now I'm able to work from home, and if I can manage the child at home situation, I'm probably not that keen on spending four hours a day in the car anymore. Not when I've proven that the tech can work and that I'm you know, efficient and effective and trustworthy to be let work from home. What's the new normal? I think I would see the new normal uh, still as somewhat abstract. So I would see it as probably an extension of needing to adapt, an extension of needing to accept the situation. I think if we were to go into the practicalities of COVID-19 today and what people are actually enjoying, it is just like you said, the Navin to Dublin commute is gone and I'm not sure I'd want to pick that up again. I'm also not sure that firms who are paying upwards of 5, 10, 11 million a month for their lease in Dublin city centre want to continue carrying that type of overhead unless, of course, they own the building. I think the new normal is too soon to talk about. I think January, February, March next year, we'll be able to look around us and see form and shape and something more tangible in our work environment that we don't see today. I think things are still uncertain. We've got a few key variables that are gonna have an impact on what the new normal looks like for us in 2021. Our neighbors are gonna impact that as well, not just our own variables. I think that it is worth noting that being in Ireland right now is really, really good. <laughs> we appear to be in a country who's, who has great leadership. We appear to be in a country where the people are quite respectful and insistent on social distancing and complying with the instructions that we've been given. We seem to be faring better than others. So I think our new normal will show up three to six months from now. It will become sustainable and it will allow profitability and it will allow a community to form, albeit in a slightly different expression than what we had going into COVID-19. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right about the Irish experience of this. I think it, it helps that we're a, a rock in the North Atlantic, separated by yeah, that's true. anybody else. It helps our Taoiseach is a doctor and, and maybe comes from, maybe is more receptive to, to information than, than uh, other leaders might have been with, without that background. It probably helps that we're not especially heavily densely populated compared to other countries. I think in terms of the new normal, we don't know what it's going to be, but I think it's certain that it will be different in the future. And I think that you're right. Firms, there's the ones that think we're going back to what it was like, and then there's the ones that think we're not going back to what it was like in the past. And I think that approach is right, albeit that we don't know what, what new normal is. We know it's coming and it's come. It's here. And so it's to be alive to that and to be looking for the opportunities of doing things better and doing things differently. Absolutely. Looking for the opportunities. You cannot have a situation that is only one-sided. There are absolutely opportunities to be discovered, accessed, tried, experienced, and embraced for the long term. Things that we would never have thought of or wanted to think of had COVID-19 not showed up here. Using this time as an innovative, there is no box type of process for your business, for your future, can be exciting and rewarding. The regular perspective of this is as we can gauge it. From their own perspective, as an organization, the first 
challenge for them is to deploy their own business continuity policy. They're well served by their technology. They are a tech savvy organization. They have staff that all have laptops and they can work from home and, and they've been doing that for a little while now. So deploying BCP, same as challenges for other firms, but they're in a pretty good place to be able to do it. Then in terms of getting back to do what they do, they're back to supervising firms, authorizing firms. On the supervision side, for example, we know on the fund management company side, they've engaged with a lot, if not all, mancos at this stage. They're looking for weekly updates or daily updates from mancos with a higher risk rating. They'll be doing supervisory teams in the central bank will be taking the same approach to other regulated firms. This stage, it's kind of looking for those firms to raise flags with the regulator if they're hitting particular issues that are of concern so that with the regulator, they can work through them and, and get them resolved if they, if they can at all. But from the regulator's perspective, they still have to supervise firms and they still have to authorize firms. They have the tech to do things like interviews via virtual um, experience. So whether that's, I'm, sure it's, I'm not sure what tech they use. It won't be something like a Zoom probably, but, but they have the tech to be able to, to do their interviews virtually. And so they'll continue to do that. I don't think that they will pause all work that required on-site indefinitely. I don't think that they'll pause things like F&P interviews, PRISM interviews, the CP86 review, I think, will continue. It's not. I guess it, it takes some adapting to, to do the on-site piece virtually, but I don't see that they'll just down tools until this is all gone and they can get back to going physically on-site because that's, there's too much uncertainty in that. You just don't know when that's going to happen. So I think that the regulator is very aware of what's going on in industry and they will focus their resources accordingly. But if I were a regulated firm, I wouldn't assume that this is a kind of, not a get out of jail card, but this is some sort of a free pass to that whatever inspections or other work was ongoing is going to get forgotten. I don't think it will. We know a good few firms that are experiencing phone calls, some of them daily from the regulator right now. And I think this is where you'll see if, like, for example, if you're, you know, under PRISM, the, the probability risk and impact system, if you're a firm that's moved from low to medium low reasonably recently, this is where you're really going to see that difference play out because you're nearly going to have to have a resource whose job it is to take the calls and the queries from the regulator and ensure that they're responded to because you're getting yeah. an awful lot of that. And even at low impact, they're getting more than they would have done. But I appreciate that theory versus real life can sometimes be worlds apart. But how how interesting, and I almost want to suggest or present this as a benefit, but you've got a theoretical BCP plan that's now being completely put into action. And whilst the regulator is checking in on you, you can in real time course correct, adapt, and play out your BCP to the best advantage of your firm, your people, your industry right now, where up in pre-COVID-19, this was just paperwork, good thinking, lots of meetings, but it was paperwork that just kind of sat there. One day it may be required. So I think what we're seeing, tell me if, if you're not seeing this, Danny, but what I'm seeing is the regulator and regulated firms are actually working together to ensure the best possible outcome for BCP in this particular environment. The daily phone calls are not, I'm not seeing them as being, well, stop everything you're doing and prove to me what you're doing right now. It's how is this working out? What is that going to look like tomorrow? And so there's a lot more conversation about what's showing up in real time because everybody 
is going through a BCP, including the regulator. Yeah, no, that's right. There's two parts to that. The regulator is very actively engaging with firms. They're not engaging with firms to beat them up on how they're deploying every single line that they've written in their business continuity plan. It is more collaborative. It is more about understanding how are you safeguarding civility? How are you protecting consumers? Because that's the regulator's mission. And so it is about working together to make sure that that's what's happening and sharing experiences and making sure that, that risks are identified and then monitored, managed, mitigated, or eliminated. So there is that side to it. From another side, though, from the regulator's perspective, this then will prove, I think, to them the areas that they identified pre this crisis as being areas of risk. So, for example, cyber. They've been banging on about cyber for a while as being an area of risk. So now, now this is the scenario where that gets to play out and the regulator can see whether their concerns are right and can see whether firms have taken the steps that they were supposed to do to put themselves in a good place. You take things like liquidity risk management. That's been a huge issue on regulatory agendas for about two years now and was getting more attention in the last 12 months because of things like Woodford and uh, property funds that were daily dealing suspending. So this all plays out. And now they get to see in real life, well, how are those liquidity risk management funds operating in practice? How are they being deployed? Are funds having to suspend? Do they have the liquidity management in place to do a good job in a very stressful scenario? Money market fund regulation, again, a lot of focus there on things like tools to maintain your stable nav, valuations, and also liquidity risk management. So how is that working for a money market fund? And lastly, on exchange-traded funds, this is just off the top of my head, quite a few developments on that front, but one in the US, which is an interesting one, where the Fed has is purchasing ETF shares of bond ETFs, and that's a way then of maintaining the secondary market price and the primary market price. Now, I'm afraid I don't know an awful lot about that. I've, I've read a, a little into it. So I am actively looking for an ETF expert to podcast with because I'm very interested in that. And certainly the materials I read on it presented it as if this was a positive for ETFs that they've proven themselves. I'm reading that with an ex-regulator's hat on and I'm thinking, hmm, not really. You're talking about a product that has required a federal agency to step in to ensure that it operate the way it's supposed to. That doesn't sound to me like it's, it's something that I should be very satisfied with. That sounds to me like I'm going to have a lot of questions. So, so all of those areas are playing out now in real life. And there are areas that the regulator had identified as being ones where there might be risk. So this is a way, this is kind of proving ground for, for all of that. But hopefully because of the work done in advance, firms are in a better place to get through this without there being serious consequences for things like consumers. That's things, I guess, from a firm's perspective, a regulator's perspective, an employee's perspective. From an industry perspective, obviously, we've had very volatile markets and a lot of uncertainty. But I think industry as a whole is kind of pulling together and getting through as best they can. In terms of it getting back to some sort of a new normal, I know, for example, on the, let me just get my date right, Monday the 20th of April, I'm participating on a web webinar that Irish funds are hosting this one is particularly about the designated person for regulatory compliance. 4 p.m. the 20th of April. I've no idea how you get your invites. So you have to get onto the guys in Irish funds now that I'm going to be participating. But again, it's a sign of life getting, adapting to, to what, what it is. Adapting, yeah. You know what it's going to be. We're not screwed is the message, Shannon. We just got to adapt and keep our eyes open for the opportunities that this crisis 
and this situation brings, what we can learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Adopt mindset and embrace what is probably going to be a transition phase for a few more months to come. Well, I know I'm learning uh, a lot about uh, swing ball. I get very good at swing ball, which is, you know, swing ball is, yeah. Is it like a wooden paddle with a little string and a stretchy string and a ball at the bottom and then you like tap it? That's it. It's like tennis, except it's on a... But it's a string. Yeah, it's on a string, yeah. What did you so, call it? It's called swing ball. Certainly oh, does. swing ball. Yeah, yeah. Myself and my, my seven-year-old son are getting pretty good at, at swing ball. So there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of DIY jobs that have been put off or getting done. Yeah. I spent yesterday tackling a wasp's nest. Oh. So anybody out there need some advice on <laughs> wasp proposal? Contact Can you us. Tell me, how did you, was it a blanket involved, a wet blanket thrown over? And how did you do it? No, in fairness, it's a nest from last year that we wanted to get rid of before they decide. It's a lovely time in 2019. They're going to come back here for another visit this year. We had to kind of, it was on the ground, we had to dig it out. All those little things. And I think you mentioned about, you know, news and comedy and that. I'm on a pretty strict news comedy ratio. Yes. About three to one at the moment. I'm, I'm probably five to one. Yeah, you gotta, you got to be very careful. What's your com- very mindful, yeah. What's your comedy preference? So at the moment, I'm really enjoying Jimmy Carr. <laughs> Jimmy Carr, okay. And Michael McIntyre and Tommy Tiernan. And then I discovered the dry bar comedy which is streaming at the moment. I'm not into any of the celebrities doing their Corona Oki or their live singing. Oh, Daniel Escobar, the violinist, is doing some great stuff, but it's not humorous. It's just really, really enjoyable, entertaining music-wise. But yeah, the, I'll take Jimmy Carr any day. <laughs> oh, I'm going through a serious uh, revision to uh, Monty Python. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I get, so that, no, fair play. You might win. You might win. I love that. a bit of Monty Python. And they're on Spotify, which I hadn't realized. So now I know there's Monty Python sings, but they have. Did you get the Disney Plus? No. We're Netflix. We're Netflix people in this house. I, I used to be a Netflix girl. Now I'm a Disney Plus girl. I like Huckleberry Finn. Avatar, Benji. There's some really brilliant classics over there. Yeah, which I would never have considered pre-COVID-19. There's so many things I wouldn't be doing right now that I'm really enjoying pre-COVID-19. Well, we've just finished the fourth season of Money Heist, which is... <laughs> it's so a, a, Spanish, a Spanish... I know it. Oh, you know it? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It's excellent. I oh, it's really good. Really good. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it to a point, but I'm not going to say any more than that because I, I, I won't enjoy that. <laughs> okay. Well, Danny, we get thank through. you for having me. Well, thank you very much. And my next skill challenge is to learn how to cut my own hair because otherwise, when we reemerge from all this in three months' time, I'm either going to look like, you know, those outdoor broadcasts where they got the microphone <laughs> down with the big furry thing? I'm going to have I'm an afro gonna... with my next video, LinkedIn videos. <laughs> I'm going to have to get a blade and I'm just going to, what's it called, America? A no, I'm not sure that look would suit you, Danny. Well, it's going to be one or other's feast or Called a skinhead? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not sure that would suit you. Skinhead look. Oh, no, God. not okay. sure that would suit you at all. Right. Take well, thank care. you very much for your, 
for your time, Sean. I'm very, very appreciative of it. A lot there to, to learn and digest and tips for how to get through this phase in a way that not only allows you to manage the stress, but maybe actually allows you to appreciate the time we've been given as a result of this scenario. Let's keep safe, keep indoors, follow the rules, bring up your folks if they're not behaving themselves and time to leave the dog food or nices or whatever it is they're going to have to Aldi to get and stay home. And just to say, oh, well, I might as well wrap up. Uh, we're working at the moment on our Usage Eligible Assets Masterclass, which will be a digital product available from questacademy.com in the next couple of weeks. We have our ETFs tutorial part two on Friday, the 24th of April. So again, if you check out a Quest Academy, you'll find out how to get yourself access to that. We'll have a podcast next week with Sam Glynn from Code in Motion on cybersecurity, which we mentioned earlier on. And also just to get in touch with Irish Funds, if you fancy attending that webinar on Monday, the 20th of April at four, it's on the designated person for regulatory compliance. It's part of a series. So I think they have six webinars, one for each of the designated person functions. I'm advertising it here, offering you to go. I have no idea if Irish Funds have opened this up generally, but you can get in touch with David at Irish Funds and pay me. Longer podcast than we usually run, but that's, I guess, to reflect the nature of the conversation, which really got into some strange places, but I was glad to have it. So thanks to Shannon for her time and her contribution. Hope you enjoy the podcast. We'll catch you next week on a podcast with Sam Glynn, where we're going to be talking about cybersecurity. In the meantime, stay safe and enjoy this podcast. Are we screwed episode? You've been listening to the Aquas podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R U R Q.